Welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast, run by John Cribbs, myself, and Mr. Christopher Funderberg. Hi, John. How are you tonight? I'm doing well, Chris. Are you feeling full of love for humanity based on the <laughs> film we're discussing? Filled with joy and hopefulness? I definitely feel like I need to, like, set out a warning. <laughs> if you're having like if you're having good thoughts if you're just having a real positive kind of day maybe don't join us in the discussion on this yeah. <laughs> no i was i watched it again today before doing the episode and i was having a great day and i was like physically exhausted at the end of the screening because i was like fighting it the whole time like god damn don't ruin my day movie <laughs> i think i think martin kessler tells a story about seeing it nine o'clock in the morning oh, oh my god <laughs> just feeling like terrible the rest of the day <laughs> can't imagine i definitely watched at night yeah that. i watched this at 3 30 so it was like you know at a nearly empty film form screening and the film that we're talking about is uh elam Klimov's come and see which has just been restored at brand new prints that is sitting theaters now it's at film form in new york and joining us to discuss this is m2 gant how you doing m2 may uh, well you know i actually saw it today at the 12 30 showing I was supposed oh to see did it you why didn't we go together uh, I thought I, you were going yesterday. I was, and then just a, out of a last-minute kind of change of events, I decided to just do it today. And I see, see the 12.30 before a class I had to teach, which, you know, I had a lot of attitude in that class, and I'm probably yeah. – not acknowledging that wasn't the best movie to go to with a bunch of young people how to do acting. Yeah. Well, yeah, the the acting to talk about in this movie is very interesting as well yeah. when we get into it. Intume is a filmmaker and a college professor. He made two incredible short films that I'm a huge fan of, uh, Spit and White Face. And he is also, you are, is it fair to describe you as a super fan of this movie? Oh, super fan for sure. Cool. And in general, I think of you as it's funny because I think of you as like a um, like like a political motherfucker. You know what I mean? But yeah. also like a Russian cinema guy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm a Russian cool. dramatics guy because you know I can't you know I yeah. came, up, came up as an actor. So Stanislavski and all that stuff and Chekhov was very big in like my 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 late teens and my early twenties. And then when I really started getting into cinema. I said, I, I got to check out the Russians. And then yeah. it just seemed to fit also. So Russian dramatic arts from theater to film is, is a big thing for me, for sure. Interesting, because I'm, you're somebody I really associate with Tarkovsky. Sorry, yeah. John, I didn't mean to step on you. No, I was going to say, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive anyway, being political and then being into Russian cinema, which obviously is very political. Yeah. Oh, well, I from guess you're more like, you're like... <laughs> black political american very engaged with that you know i think of it you know if that you're into um wendell harris makes a yeah. lot of sense you yeah. know yeah yeah for and, sure uh, yeah i don't think they're necessarily at odds with each other but when i think of a lot of the other work that you advocate for in your own work i think if somebody sees whiteface they might be surprised to hear how much you love tarkovsky no i actually totally agree with you i think like sometimes people are, are very surprised by it and sometimes i'm even surprised by it but i i <laughs> I, I, that's a conversation for another day, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's an aesthetic energy thing, but you know, we yeah. all have those weird contradictions, you know? Yeah. But even going back to Eisenstein and Veritoff, right? And yeah. Dostoevsky I mean, the whole kind of idea is the Russian, the individual, the Russian person being the complete 
just just lost in this mass, you know, the sort of mass of people who are suffering and starving and and angry and rising, you know. No, no, no. Like... In in Dushinsko, they're very happy to be dying in the field. <laughs> they're not suffering at all. Uh, no. In Earth, they love they love to die. It's their time. They work the fields and now they're dead. They're happy, John. Well, you know, I, I do have a theory that when you think about a lot of black leftist um, people, especially in the 60s, you know, the, it's kind of underplayed by how much, mm-hmm. you know, blacks in the, in the civil rights, especially in the revolutionary part of it, were very influenced by the Russian Revolution and yeah. Russian kind of. It's, what, it's so interesting to see like black American liberals get really into the anti-Russian stuff now. As I was like, a lot of the guys who idolize from Huey Newton to Malcolm X were really into Russians and Soviets and communists and things yeah. like that you know and obviously the history of black socialism is massive and totally predates, predates even even uh russian socialism in some ways exactly and and the wild thing is if you think about like the way they enter suffering in a movie like come and see i think a lot of black um political people and arts people like even like amir baraka they were into that yeah. taking that kind of suffering and putting it on screen and politicizing it i could see why it was so resonant then for that group and it's not really that resonant now but you know for me it is yeah absolutely i can see that I can I can understand it. You've just convinced me my initial point that they're unrelated is wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're... I, also, I also want to throw out Arsenal as a Dolph Gento movie where they're not happy to die. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Earth, no, Earth, I, Earth more so. Look, yes. I yeah. know uh, Earth comes in for some hits by me, but uh, <laughs> but you're you're definitely right that uh, you know if you look at a constructivist film and there'll be a lot of suffering in them Mm -hmm. and this movie is obviously uh you know i think more than a lot of uh soviet cinema uh is more connected to the constructivist stuff we'll get into it a little more but this Mm -hmm. is a movie that feels like a movie out of time in some ways that it's from 1985 is is surprising about it yeah it came out in 85, although it was started technically in 1977. Um, and it just took that long to get past all of the state censorship that yes. uh, they, they wouldn't let him make this movie. So it took him a good eight years to get into production on this film. Um, and this is a film about, well, it's about the Russian, uh, the, the massacre of uh, Russian villages in Belarus, which at the time was called, is it Belarusa or Belarusia? I could never know how it's pronounced. Me neither. Belarus, I think, is fine. Okay, so we'll say so Belarus. So it's 1943. Belarusa is what it was if you read it phonetically off the screen. In this right, right, right. <laughs> Belarusa, good enough. Yeah. Um, in two minutes, John and I mangle foreign words nonstop. Are you comfortable <laughs> with that? I'm totally fine. Names and words left and right. Yeah. Richard, Richard Harlan Smith on Twitter today was just like making fun of podcast people who mispronounce names. And I was like, oh, that's me. It's <laughs> absolutely me. I read all of this stuff. I don't hear them said out loud. Like the director of this, Elam Klimov. Like, that's just me guessing. I've never heard his name said out loud by anyone. I've read it a million times. Uh, and it'll always be, you'll always hear it differently because you, you don't speak the language. Yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. Yeah. And a lot um, of people saying it don't fucking know, too. Right. That's really? a lot Word of talk. People, Yeah. Are, are doing, are pulling a John and Cribs on it. <laughs> and doing it beautifully. Yes. Specifically in this film, we follow uh, a young man, teenage boy named um, Fleora, who has unearthed a, a rifle 
so that he can join the uh, the Soviet partisan group rebelling against the Nazi occupation of the area. And we follow his journey. Do we even call it a journey, Jesus? It's we we, we follow him during this film, this film, from joining the partisans to being left behind and winding up with a young woman and then finding out that his village has been destroyed and kind of trying to do something to stop this thing from happening, but finding that he, between a mixture of naivete and just confusion and just sort of the overwhelming horror that's happening around him, he really can't do anything except just hope to survive by the end of this film and by the end of this moment in history that's happening yes um, he's a very passive character this movie is very much about things being inflicted this is about what the world is in, inflicting on this character as much as him doing yeah. anything there are moments when he tries to do stuff and obviously he kicks off the film by making the decision to join up with the partisans right but it's it's not a um movie that is driven by the decisions of these character of this character and it's very much the point i think right and joining the partisans is even like a game to him i mean it's obviously he doesn't know what he's in for or what he's getting into and when he's actually part of the group he's basically just you know, performing menial tasks and things like that and not actually doing anything in terms of the, the soldiering. But yeah, I think he has really some vague character. sense that it's the right thing to do. Right. But I but, don't know that it's developed about what that means whatsoever. But that's the main thing I think that is really unique about this film, especially if you compare it to other horrors of war type movies. This depicts through uh, the character horrors of war as just super confusing. Yeah. More than anything, you know? It's like, obviously, it's horrible, but more than anything else, it's just, rather than being, oh, this is terrible, obviously, it's like, wow, what's going on? I don't understand what's happening. Well, well, that's what's so good about the film to me is like, because I, I hadn't seen it. This I hadn't seen it in a couple of years. It's not, you know, I have movies that I can watch yearly. I can't watch this yearly. <laughs> no kidding. I, I, I just can't do it. And I, you know, so I... I remember the broad strokes of the plot, but not the intricacies. And one of the interesting things is you don't realize what characters are on what sides and what they do until yeah. about sometime about a third through the scene, sometimes even halfway through the scene, you go, oh, wait a minute. This person is a, oh. And yeah. it hit me that this is how confusing war really is. Like these, yes. you know, movies we see, everything's very clear. You watch these war movies, they're very clear. This person's the villain. This person's the bad person. This person's the is is, is the person who needs yeah. to be res needs to be rescued. This is the guy in charge, and right. if that guy is stopped, the snake's head will be cut off. Exactly. And this, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Who is what? And they don't understand, right? And it's just mm -hmm. like. You, you really sit in there. And that's why it's so unsettling. I have to say, I was watching it today. I couldn't get comfortable in my seat for two, yeah. uh, for two hours plus. I just couldn't do it. And I felt bad for the people behind me. I was like, I'm sorry, y'all. I just can't really get comfortable watching that, it. That's not Film Forum's fault. They have new seats and they're very nice. I know. It's not the, <laughs> Film Forum, y'all did y'all part. I just couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> handle it. No, I know exactly what you mean. And I think that really is a credit to the film that we really yeah. stay with this character and see these things through his eyes. There are only maybe two, maybe three moments that we see outside of his perception, but mostly mm -hmm. everything we're just following him. And I think something that Klemov said that I really think is great is that what he said about the character is that he doesn't understand 
horror and he doesn't understand love. Yeah. So it's like these two things that, you know, are completely intertwined in this film. I mean, having the shelling of the, the camp, which, you know, leaves him almost completely deaf, followed by them like frolicking in the forest and like showering in the rain. That this scene. beautiful, beautiful scene with the rainbow behind her. And it's like, how are these two things existing at the same time? time. And it's because he is discovering all of these things about life at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have you you have your pubescent awakening in the middle of a fucking war. That's yeah. absolutely nuts. In the middle of a massacre. In the middle I mean, of a massacre. That's the thing. Like everyone to call this a war film seems wrong. I mean, it's yeah. an extermination film. I mean, it's just it's just a film. It's a genuine horror film. Yeah. Where it's just like people, an overwhelming army with guns on one side or the other, with guns and weapons and all the power are destroying the people on the other side. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I hear this movie all the time described as an anti-war film. And that seems entirely wrong. To me, this is one of the most effective pro-war movies I have ever seen that I will, we'll talk about this a little bit. I was telling John before you got on this movie, I have some problems with interesting, especially by the end. I have a little bit of, um, I I just have issues. This is obviously an incredibly powerful film. This is an an incredibly well-made film too. It's, it's got a really great style. It doesn't just, um, uh, revel in. Oh, what did what did the Russian censors say about it? There was a phrase they the used. aesthetics of dirtiness. The yeah. aesthetics of I dirtiness. I read that one. <laughs> and unnecessary naturalism. Naturalism. <laughs> yeah, and it's not that. It's a very stylish film, and it's a very um, it makes a lot of very interesting aesthetic decisions. The way it uh, its use of close ups in particular, yeah. I'm really blown away by the portrait like shots of the the in the close ups. Then of course the the all those group portrait shots of yes. the, the soldiers. It's very it's very stylized. Yes. Yeah, especially in the but, first half of the film, there's so much symmetry in those yeah. close ups. And not, you know, showy type Wes Anderson symmetry, but like, yeah. it's like a very nice, like balance to everything, which yeah. completely disappears yeah. in the chaos of the second half of the film. You won't see a shot like that yeah. until the end of the film. It's kind of like Ozu framing, but definitely not Ozu energy. You know, Ooh, that, yeah. how mm-hmm. Ozu would just have him kind of talking like that, but definitely not Ozu energy. That's like, it's, it's complete <laughs> no, 180 from Ozu. No, definitely yeah. not. Ozu energy is everyone loves me and each other so much that it's making life impossible. Right, so hard. Stop loving so much. Yeah. Love less. It's just that burden of really loving your elderly parents. It's yes. so hard to just be full of a life, have a life full of love. Also, no, not, was, a lot of, not a lot of steady camp shots in Ozu. Well. <laughs> no. Um, I was going to say that this movie is pro-war. By the end, you know, when he rejoins the partisans at the end, I don't know how anyone could take the last 10 minutes of this movie as anything other than a call to action, you know? Uh, Specifically that defeating the Nazis was really super-duper fucking important for Russia to do. But also when he has the German uh, uh, officer say you know, I did it, I get the order and I do it again. Your country deserves to be crushed and doesn't deserve to exist. And if we don't do it today, and he looks at the camera and says, we'll do it tomorrow, Tomorrow, right? Like the communism is not an ideology that deserves a place on this earth, right? 
Yeah. Join the partisans, everybody. It's it's hard not to take it that way. And it's also not hard to feel like that there's an incredible urgency to stopping what the Nazis were, that this film makes you feel very much. You know, it, this film has an incredible urgency, even being made in 1985. It very feels much to me like a movie that's like that they were making in the 60s, uh, in, in especially in places like Russia, that have an urgency that are just starting to really clear-eyed contend with what World War II was, that it's gotten over all of the... the um, uh, artifice about it and sort of mediating aesthetics when you have movies that are like this shit was really genuinely horrible in the 60s you know and uh, this movie has that same urgency to it of like that first wave of films contending with the truth of World War II um, and I don't think it's a bad thing for it to be pro-war in a funny way my reaction a little bit who it is, and I'm curious what you think about this in Tumay. To me, especially as late as 85, World War II is a really convenient fact of history for warmongers because there was one side that was so evil that you can then paint every future conflict as us, the good guys, versus some new Nazis, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like World War II, especially now, in, in 2020 gets exploited in that way. And, you know, I think, you know, this is, it sounds like I'm making a major criticism of this movie and I think I'm actually making a minor one in some mm -hmm. ways, but I do sort of put my guard up when somebody nowadays tries to tell me about the importance of fighting Nazis worldwide, because more often than not, it, what they actually mean is dropping bombs on Iraqi civilians. You know what I mean? More often than not, they mean we're going to send mercenaries into Nigeria. You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, some, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I was, I was with a friend of mine, and his wife is Russian, yeah. and I had just seen um, uh, Klimov's wife's uh, Larissa Sheptko. The Ascent. I just seen that yeah. film, and I was really blown away by it. I was really like, just my body was just really, you know. And I was telling her about it, and she doesn't really like that film that much. His wife. Yeah. And I asked her why, and she she expressed a similar thing about The Ascent, where she felt while it was a great film, it was manufactured in a way uh, that it possibly for Soviet warmongering type people that they could use it in a way that they didn't, that she didn't feel was um, genuine. Yeah. And I, and it's funny. I said to her, I said, you know, and I, I haven't watched the film since she made that criticism. And I said, I'll think about the next time I watch it. But I, I said to her, you know, it would, it, I, in being fair, I know American films like that. Though I do think Come and See still and The Ascent, even though I've only seen it once, they yeah. they 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 are so much more effective than the American. Um, uh, versions the yeah, yeah. versions of this and i and i i have to say though the one thing i do really agree with you with though is i've always heard this is an anti-war film and i've 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 just kind of just accepted it as a label but i've yeah. never understood it in my analysis how it's anti-war especially watching it today in that scene with the 
with the when they when they capture the whole platoon of, of Germans and the uh, yeah. Ukrainian collaborators and all of that. And the woman is just like they douse them with gasoline. The woman just shoots them up. There is yeah. no like regret and like. Well, that's a very complicated scene, though. I that's agree with you. Really good scene, and that's the scene the whole movie is building up to. It's not yes, totally the, the the massacre where everyone is burned in the church. It's the one after, yeah, yeah. But to me, that doesn't feel like an anti-war moment. That 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 I'm, I'm not saying they're like go out and kill these people, but I'm not getting like there's a guy who protests kind of, yeah. but I'm not getting like you know. No, it's a very it's it's to me that's a very um powerful moment because yeah. they're trying to decide the these people deserve to die and when yes. the cowardly 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 uh german officer is oh. like i have a family of my own and all of that bullshit right and he's being such a weasel and, it, and you as an audience are like it's impossible not to be like fuck this dude yeah, like door. shoot him you know what i mean shoot him um but that group is trying to decide how do we define ourselves in opposition yeah. to this group our rage our outrage, our desire for revenge is entirely justified. Whatever we do here, no one will judge us, right? And yeah. many people, in fact, cheer us on. But what do we actually do? And that's why it's so interesting. There's a kind of, um, of paralysis on the part of the partisans there, not knowing what to do. And that's why when the woman freaks out and breaks it, she's like, just like, we just do it. You know, like, not enough that we just got to break this paralysis. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, and uh, well, that's, and that's why I think in the end, this film, for me at least, is great. Yeah. If it was just a simple anti war film, it might be actually limited in, in a yeah. way. This film is, I think it's a lot more about situations and how situations are very complicated and things happen in situations. Because I'm like, what can they really do in this moment? They have to kill them. Yeah. They yeah. have to. They have to. They're going to make them prisoners of war? They're partisans. Exactly. And then, like, what? They get out. You think that old dude who's crying about his, uh, his, his grandchildren and all that, if he has any grandchildren, I doubt he probably yeah. had any actual grandchildren. If he has any grandchildren, if he gets back, connected with germany he's not gonna kill all y'all like come on man yeah in simple strategy you gotta kill a guy you got to they're in war yeah and and these guys have committed unquestionable war crimes the yeah. things they do in this movie are so awful that obviously the giant set piece of the film is when they round up everyone <laughs> from the town and this is all based on uh true uh uh reporting of what happened at the time into a church an entire town essentially of refugees mainly women and children and elderly people and locks them in the church and sets the church on fire. And they say, before they do it, they say anyone who wants to leave their kids behind can Ugh. escape out this window, right? It's just awful beyond awful. And it's interesting because yeah. uh, you know, the title of this film is so poignant, you know, come and see has so many meetings, obviously that you can yeah. take from this film. And I think, you know, the idea that we're, it's all again, that's all through the perception of Flora that we're actually yeah. seeing things. I, I don't consider an anti-war film for that, that same reason, you know, not yeah. because, not because it's saying that these guys are absolutely awful and need to die, but rather because once it's in that situation where the roles reverse and the Germans are the ones with, with the guns being held to them and the partisans seem terrifying, you know, they seem like yeah. when they have the power, they seem like the scary. Do they? They, they do. So. I think so. Yeah. I, really? 
I think I, they do. The way they're just the way I think the, they play the German like officers. Heroes. The way I the German officers and the like Ukrainian them. collaborators are kind of, you know, just going on and on and begging for their lives, and they're just mm. standing around staring at them, you know, with no emotion and no compassion for people who are pleading for their lives. You know, only through Fleora do we know about the exact war crimes that have been committed here. The partisans, for the most part even though they've obviously seen what's been going on, haven't been involved in that. And they are just there making a military decision. And it's scary for that reason. Well, no, that crowd says, we know my kids were burned in this. There's people, the partisans know what's going on. It's interesting because other moments, earlier on the partisans seem a little weird to me. Yes, they seem like they're getting to take the kid off to the camps. That's a moment like what you guys are talking about where you don't know what's happening. When they show up, it's like, Mm -hmm. are these guys Germans who are like going to force him to join the German forces. Right. Or are they on the up and up? Are they just yeah. kind of like, you know, these these typical people who kind of in, in these kind of wars where everything is chaotic, who kind of kind of just take over and yeah. and, and, and and you know exploit things. You don't know. It's in that moment, at least for me, when I actually began to realize that they were kind of broken people, the partisans. They all seem yes. like very broken, just fucked up people who were just yeah. kind of, and I realized, even to me, I was like, how, how much organization do they actually have? They just felt ragtag and kind of yeah. broken and making it happen. Oh, yeah. You I know. think so much of this film is, what am I supposed to do? What's my role right. in this? You know? <laughs> right. No, really. It's like, where am, I, am I supposed to step up here? Am I supposed to be the one to douse these people with gasoline in this situation? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, again, the, 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 the title saying, come and see, says, you know, you're there and you're seeing, but what am I supposed to do? Yeah, it's a movie that's about come and see to bear witness to this. Mm-hmm. That that's mainly what uh, Flora does is bear witness to what's happening in here. And it's interesting, you know, I hate even bringing it up, but I think we'll all be on the same page. It was very fascinating to me when I heard, I was already thinking about Inglorious Bastards when I watched this, right? Yeah. When I heard the, do you guys know the original title of this movie? No. Kill Hitler. Kill Hitler. That was really? the only thing the censors made them change. And just to your point earlier in two May, the Germans or the Russian censors didn't make them change anything except the title Kill Hitler. So that this movie is obviously uh, was very convenient to the authoritarian power structure yeah. of, of, of Russia yeah. in a lot of ways. But Kill Hitler uh, is an ironic title when it's used in this film. But this is a movie that's a very much about the idea that um, the Inglorious Bastards fantasy of, well, if I was there, I just would have killed Hitler. I disagree. I I disagree. I I think because especially the last sequence where he's shooting the picture of Hitler in the puddle and and then the war is being reversed in his mind and what stops him from firing the rifle and regain his senses is the idea of Hitler being a baby, being an infant. Yes. And he can't shoot Hitler as an infant. And I th- and Klimov, I know it said at one point, the title was referring to killing the Hitler within yourself. You know, yes, he kills his idea of Hitler. Yeah, but he, but kills his, he, not, stops, his himself, he stops himself, though, from being yes. what Hitler represents, right? Like he's going to stop, you know, he's not going to, be, to become that violent person. He's not going to be someone who exterminates someone, whether they deserve it or not yes so, but i, I don't you're not that. disagreeing with me i'm saying okay. this movie isn't like inglorious past oh you're saying it's not like inglorious yes i'm sorry you didn't let me i thought you were recording it No, I'm saying it's not like Inglorious Bastards because in Inglorious Bastards, the idea was that 
I would, if I were there, I would just kill Hitler. You know, like I would have a badass group of commandos and we would have been just as bad as the Nazis and we would have locked a bunch of innocent people in a building and set it on fire, right? Which is exactly what the Nazis (laughs) do in this movie is like the triumphant climax of Inglorious Bastards. Like it's it's a movie in which- They lock people in a building and then- A literal Holocaust is played as a triumph in Inglorious Mm -hmm. Bastards, right? Sure. This movie is about how when you're caught in these circumstances- you can't do anything that history is flowing over top of you. And the idea that you would have some measure of control when things get so big and so far outside of your control is really makes something like Inglorious Bastards seem totally immature and absurd and grotesque, right? And this movie is about how little one individual can influence and affect history unfolding around them. Mm. He starts out with the idea that he'll be able to do something in some way. His idea of what he's going to be able to do uh, is keeps getting reduced. First he starts, I'm going to join the partisans and in some way fight back, right? He has some vague idea of joining up with a group that's going to fight back against the Nazis. And then that gets reduced down a little to, well, I'm going to go back home and save my family, mm-hmm. right? And then that gets reduced down to, well, I'm going to join this group that's going to go get provisions to save these uh, hungry uh, refugees that are hiding out on an island. And then that gets reduced to, well, I'm going to get this one fucking cow. And then that gets reduced to, well, I'm not going to get shot. And then that gets reduced to, well, I'm not going to get captured. And then that gets reduced to, I'm just going to get out of this building before it burns, right? And his idea of how he's going to affect the world around him and affect history just keeps getting reduced throughout the film until the total helplessness of the situation is is uh, inarguable with him. And I think that's a very interesting thing for me to this movie is um, that's obviously in America and an anti-American idea that the individual is not in control of history at all, you know? Well, that's what the whole thing, you know, war movies are used to, you know, prove that uh, these are places or landscapes that, you know, men can find their virility, you know? So usually by the end of it, yes, they may be broken, but they're a greater man. It's funny. Platoon was on the other day (laughs) and I was looking at it and he always, they, you know, it's, it's the perfect example. Young, naive, rich Charlie Sheen comes in there. He admires someone like Tom Berenger. And then by the end of it, he, Kills Don't the we guy. all? He exactly. We all love Tom Berenger. Come on, the substitute, you know. <laughs> but then by the end of the film, he hates Tom Berenger, kills the guy he once admires, and leaves there, even though broken, you know, with a red bandana, much more tough and rough, you know, yeah. able to mm-hmm. able to take out the Viet Cong in a in a final showdown. And I'm like, uh, come and see. Does the opposite? It yeah. gives you just go all the way down. You, you're stripped. You're stripped of it. You lose something. You die, essentially. Yeah. Well, that was funny because I was thinking about, too, Truffaut's quote about how it's impossible to make an anti-war movie because every movie uh, essentially ends up uh, giving you the satisfaction of the glories of war, right? Yeah. The quote, this movie I found really fascinating. I called it a pro-war movie, but it's very 
um, there's no glorification. And I think it's really interesting. I think it's a really brilliant move. The incident that kicks this off, how he's able to join the partisans is he gets, he digs up a rifle off of a dead body. He never fires the rifle all movie long. You never get the satisfaction of him pulling the trigger and killing one Nazi. You know, you never get the satisfaction Mm. of being a warrior from this movie. It's sort of, he starts off with the idea of the satisfaction of being a warrior and it's stripped away from him entirely to where this rifle that he eventually finds, he's hidden it in a hay bale at one point, he eventually finds it and it's absurd. It's a completely impotent weapon if we're talking about male virility. The stock is splintered. He, who knows if it even works? You know, it just becomes this uh, symbol of the absurdity of mm-hmm. what he's after. Yeah, I spent the whole movie wondering if it was even loaded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking with the sand in it, like, no fucking way that works. Or like it's wet, you know? I was, yeah. like, I was, I was waiting for the, the gun to just kind of fall apart, you know? Like the, yeah. the, 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 the end of it kind of comes off. You're like, oh, come on, bro. And, yeah. and yet every time he misplaces it or it looks like he's going to lose it, I had this feeling of like, oh, no, get your gun back. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like, that's how the like, ridiculousness of war and the mythology of war worked on me too. Like, you need a gun if you're in a war. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that way you can kill Hitler if you see him. You right. can, you know, that's, which is what I would have done during World War II. I totally would have killed it's Hitler. It's so funny. I like you talking about Inglorious Bastards that way. It's like, it, it, uh, it's, the, it's the movie equivalent to these stupid t-shirts you, you see from some black people go, um, you know, I'm not my ancestors. I would throw them hands, you oh, know, like God. it's the stupidest thing. It's like, come on, man. You try to tell me you bigger than Rosa Parks. You yeah. can't tell me oh you bigger God. than Rosa Parks. Sit your ass down. No, that reminds me But that's me exactly of, uh, it. I can I, imagine Tarantino making a Rosa oh, yeah. Parks movie. Totally. I totally then, yeah, it's, the, it's the classic joke. If, if Tarantino had made Lincoln, Lincoln would have shot John Wilkes Booth. Oh, totally. <laughs> and, no, flipped off the, and flipped off the balcony, man. Exactly. Hanging <laughs> down and he would have been like, this play has been recast and then finished the play. Chris, don't be ridiculous. Obviously, Brad Pitt would kill John Wilkes Booth in a <laughs> Come on, Come on, Tarantino's, Tarantino's Malcolm X. Let's, let's, let's oh. just go there, man. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let's not actually. He would, yeah, he would be the white guy in his Malcolm X movie using the N-word the whole movie. Of course. With Malcolm X, the white friend. Oh. Who's, got, who's got the cookout pass so he can use the n-word with um, jackson <laughs> white yeah. man no but it was it was not to just only focus on inglorious bastards a, a movie that i i i saw this year that i truly despise and that i was thinking a lot about um war and how war is used was overlord the the um uh movie about horror movie set during world war ii oh, i didn't see this where they they sort of find like super like literal nazi superman monsters uh, uh, like a series of paratroopers and have to to, to fight them and in 1917 is another example yeah that's the one totally, i was thinking of yeah, yeah turning same. movies into thrill rides especially turning world war ii that's why i thought of overlord into a a thrill ride that is satisfying the way the thrill ride is where you have this sort of brain dead version where there's literal evil monster men on one side and then our, you know, ragtag rainbow group of, you know, black, white and French people together battling to stop them. You know, uh, it just feels like such an offensive fantasy in a lot of ways. And 1917 is obviously 
completely off the rails to take a, uh, a war like World War I, which was utterly pointless, rife with unimaginable suffering, a total nightmare, and to turn it into a video game yeah. and have it be exciting is grotesque. It's a and completely I, unethical film in so, in so many ways. Completely unethical. Yeah. Completely grotesque. And that's one of the big virtues to me of Come and See is, you know, it's funny, it's a pro-war film that wants you to understand what war actually is, which I think is the only kind of ethical pro-war film you could make. And again, Come and See is taken from uh, a Bible verse in Revelations. It, it's, uh, you know, when the four seals are opening to, to allow uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse to come through, the phrase come and see is repeated throughout it, right? And I think that that's what this movie wants to be about, is you, if you look at true evil, it's terrifying, but you must bear witness to it if you want to uh, be sincere. Part of your job as a human being is to bear witness to the evil of the universe. Well, another thing that haunts me in this movie, though, is the omnipresent, uh, the FW-189, the plane that keeps... Oh, yeah. Especially since when <clears throat> he's told that it's his fault that his family has been uh, exterminated. Killed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he immediately obviously thinks it's because that plane saw me getting that gun. It's because yeah. that plane witnessed me and it's this other form of perception of like everything I do is going to be judged by someone. And like this world I do, the things that I do mean something and he realizes that by joining up and going to war in an indirect way, like in a very very literal way of, you know, yeah. that plane saw me doing something bad so my family is dead. Well, that's interesting. That makes me think of, you know, the huge section in um, Triumph of the Will where it's all Hitler's plane landing, right? And there's that shadow that's coming down from the sky and it's a huge long sequence and the plane is deliberately, the image has been manipulated to make it look like a cross in the sky that has a shadow that it's literally supposed to be hmm. a representative of God coming down, that in some way Hitler is the little God in the sky who's watching everything you do, and he's here now. So it's funny that you say that, John, because that's a, a uh, uh, an intentional part of Nazi imagery, is yeah. the idea of the plane as the watching God, as the, you know, God descending. That's very cool. Sky. Well, I mean, cool, but interesting <laughs> observation. Yeah. Not cool to make the Nazis <laughs> What can I say? Nazis are cool, John. John Cripps. Can I quote you on that, John Cripps? Well, it's funny. You said, I, I, I was some. I had watched something some years ago, and they were talking about the the, the writing of the Bible, and they were and uh, this this historian talked about Revelations, and he said what people don't realize when Revelations was 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 written was they actually thought the world was going to end actually quite soon. Yeah, they thought they were seeing the apocalypse. They were in the middle of it, right? Yeah. And it, and I and I began to have this whole thought pattern that. You know, everyone who sits here and waits for the apocalypse doesn't realize the apocalypse has already happened hundreds and hundreds of times for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you look at, I, and this movie made me remember, made me remember that these people saw it already. They lived through the apocalypse. It's about, it's about the world. Well, this was their world. Their yeah. world came to a destructive end. 863 it, villages. Exactly. Like entirely out, burned to the ground. They saw the apocalypse. And so 
it's interesting. I'm sorry, 628. I got the number wrong. It's it's interesting to watch this film thinking about that and and to understand that to a certain degree, when you're talking about this being a pro-war, anti-war film, I I don't even know if it has any of it. I just feel like it's just like, this is, maybe it's just pessimistic. Maybe maybe it just has, has a pessimism about humanity saying that, in our end times, this is what we'll come to. In the yeah. various end times that we'll have around, this is what humanity will be stripped to. Yeah, but Jesus. it also, but it's survivable. Yeah. That you well, guys honestly yeah. don't find that ending hopeful, that he joins up with the group. It doesn't play like a tragedy at all. When he jo- rejoins the partisan group and they've liberated the village and now they've banded together again and are going to fight back, especially knowing history, that the Russians did go stop the Nazis. Yeah, but it's there's that long tracking shot behind the group, the final shot of the film, where the camera, through his perspective, loses the group and then kind of finds them again through the trees, yeah. then rejoins yeah. them, and it's like, there still is no direction. He still doesn't well, know what the places Mozart is playing. Best, right? I disagree. The Mozart I, playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it has a hopeful tone, whether you whether you agree or not, John. No, I'm just saying that it's a little more, I think it's a little more ambiguous, but speaking to what you were saying earlier, though, one criticism I did read about the film was that the the, the depiction of the Nazis being, you know, these kind of carnivalesque, Fellini-esque yeah. kind of clowns during this massacre. It is like of, nightmare Fellini, isn't it? It is, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, or, or, or like Salo, right? Yeah. Like these guys kind of dancing around during this destruction and being goofy and eating lobster or whatever. And it's interesting to think about that because the criticism is, well, in real life, these death squads were like professional soldiers who were like very... Uh, very efficient. Like they well, they say they're, they're Einsatz uh, commando, right? Right. Einsatz commando, which were like the death squads. A lot of those people were like the Ukrainians who were actually forced to join these groups. Right. And a lot of them were soldiers because all they were doing was killing helpless people. They were like the weak and old and uh, otherwise it was like the crap soldiers were in these groups in right. a lot of ways. So Leaving the, the children in the yeah in the building to burn. Sure. No, no. I just mean like they they were physically they were like the crummy soldiers. The good soldiers oh, were on yeah. the fronts fighting mm-hmm. right against other soldiers. These were like people who were um, uh, forced by the Germans to join these groups. They were conscripted or they were like uh, enfeebled. So that was something that I thought was, that I agree with you, that I thought was was interesting. The depiction of the Nazis as sort of cartoon Nazis. I wondered what the case actually was. And far be it from me, because one of the, the screener, I was this, uh, the, the screenplay had served with the partisans and had really been there. So mm. I don't want to undermine it too much, but it does. Well, yeah, again, Again, a lot of history says these death squads, you know, were not enjoying massacring. You know, they would just they would go in, they would they would burn these villages and murder these people. But it wasn't like they were, you know, getting a kick out of it. They weren't having a good time, exactly. Yeah, Um, they weren't getting ready to mumbo like. But but the complaints, right? They weren't like blaring the radio and playing with their little lemur pets or whatever. Yeah, but you know, specifically. Um, the, the criticism specifically is, you know, that you're making them look more evil than they were, really, to show them embellishing this horror. That's the criticism. But I disagree with that criticism. I, I think, think it makes them look less evil. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I think that if like there is something in this film that says 
hey, war is a good time, guys. It's actually through these German soldiers yeah. who are, seem to be having a genuinely fun time doing these horrible things. And I don't you, think you know what they reminded me of. Yeah, go ahead. They reminded me a ton of American soldiers dicking around in Vietnam movies. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? They're very yeah. much the like Robert Duvall in Apocalypse Now types. The like, you know, let's smoke some weed and yeah. put on our headbands, guys, from What's American the, Vietnam movies. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Dillon and Platoon, you know. Yeah, exactly. man. I want to go chop these guys up in their head, man. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Like it's one like step that. away from having a necklace with ears, sure. Yeah, totally. yeah. Or even yeah. The, the, the more cynical, like, hey, man, we got to be here. Might as well party. You know, there's a certain streak of like anti authoritarian vietnam movie yeah. that has them being like like the mash guys you know what i mean like mm -hmm. just because we're at war doesn't mean we can't get some tail am i right you know that the nazis have that sort of whereas i agree if they're just a mirthless extermination squad that's much more horrifying and that seems it, much more realistic well too. create this creates this amazing absurdity where when they when he gets out of the uh, building when he climbs out of the window of the building that's going to be burned down and they pull him over to the group and he's just sitting there petrified on the ground like doesn't even know can't run doesn't know what to do it's just sitting there you almost get this sort of comfort for a minute of oh he's hanging with these guys now <laughs> you know, like he's just yeah. chilling on the lawn with these guys having a good time. He's not stuck in this building that's about to be destroyed. Well, the first time I saw it, I, I thought he was about to like, I was like, is the next part of him about to be going off with these soldiers and they're going to, he's going to yeah. be part of them. Yeah. That was literally the first time my first thought when I first saw, ever saw the film, you know, I was like, okay. He's going to come like a little mascot journey. or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. I had the same thought. Absolutely, it's interesting. I, I when I first saw the film, I, I or even today when I, I, you know, the German soldiers are the scene is so horrific. Um, yeah. Uh, and and they are so over the top. I mean, like so over the top. It's almost it's it 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 almost is like a um, like a naked gun crazy. Like started <laughs> started shooting guns. It's, it, it, it. But on the flip side, I I I think I chopped it up to the film's expressionism a bit. Yeah, the film yeah. had had entered this kind of like zone. Of just complete insanity. Yes. So I I wondered if he felt tonally he couldn't do the calcul the the the, the yeah. calculated German sort of which we which we also see. I do say I do think though, and I agree with you, John, that like it makes them more whatever they're saying. I do feel like people want to like like lessen Nazis a little bit sometimes though. Like guys, you know, I mean they were fucked up, but you know. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, 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 and it's like I, I mean, we've we've seen. Look, we have Abu Ghraib pictures. We know that people. There are people who go to war and do some real funny shit, and they have a lot of good times fucking with people. Yeah, we know it's not totally impossible. Did it happen? I don't know. I'm not a historian of World War Two, but there are people who did go out there and get a little crazy. Yeah, for sure. No question. No question. Yeah, and I think too because. Another thing that he kind of creates by having them be these weird caricatures is that they've been completely faceless for so long in the movie right. with between the plane and the machine gun, like shooting across the plane when they have the cow, uh, just everything about them and the landmines. I mean, it's just been this invisible enemy and then they're completely faceless while they're running around at night and you just see the shapes of them running out of cars. So that when you're finally confronted with evil, it is this absurdity. It's just yeah. like guys acting like a bunch of fucking goofballs. Yeah, well, and also that that the the 
main bad Nazi, the old one who has the lemur, is so something out of fucking Indiana Jones. Totally. <laughs> he totally. <laughs> yes. He's, he's totally just, the guy in Last Crusade. He yes. totally is. <laughs> now it seems I have your lemur, Dr. Jones. No, it's totally, it's, it's uh, you know, I agree with you and Tume, the idea of like, uh, hey, it's a little more complicated than that can be wishy-washy and, mm-hmm. and getting sick of that. But at the same time, and I don't think they undermine the movie at all. I, I think that I think that you're right that aesthetically that's the right way to go, that it has reached a diabolical carnival atmosphere at that point. And and it just it's part of the ramping up of the the roller coaster and the Ferris wheel coming off of its hinges is their behavior, you know, that, you know, calliope music going bananas kind of feel to it. I, I agree with you, but, you know, I... He, I mean, he can also do... He, he's also so in control of the aesthetics of this film, the yeah. sound yeah. uh, design of this film, that the radio playing in the background is terrifying. Oh, it is. It's just hearing it, especially when, you know, they're in the fog or they're in a place where they don't know where they are. And then they just hear these sounds around them that are just completely, usually just these banal sounds. But in this film, in this landscape, become absolutely creepy. So on top of that, you know, having these guys like act like buffoons and it's still terrifying no matter what kind of goofiness and how much Indiana Jones, you know, villain characters they're going to introduce into the film. Yeah. Well, Okay. I had a, no, I agree with that. I just, I was, something popped into my head that I realized I wanted to ask Intume about. My only, my other minor complaint with the film is, is I think he made a bad decision to use an amateur actor for the main character. And I was curious because you're, you're a professor, you teach acting, Mm -hmm. you're very intelligent about acting. To me, the he was lucky he found a kid who turned out to be a great actor but the beginning of the movie the performance is much much weaker they shot over i think nine or ten months the kid is learning how to act on screen and he's bad at the beginning and he's great by the end you know i feel like there's something about he could have gotten the same performance out of another kid who wasn't an actor and I wouldn't have to watch bad acting at the beginning and at the beginning when the acting is a little more difficult in some ways what's required of him I actually agree with you I do agree with you I, I, I've always found his performance it's interesting I, I, I always read when I'm watching the film because the whole film he's pretty much has, has a the, the beginning of the movie he has a smile that's stained on his face and yeah. sometimes it feels like a great um you know, choice uh, by a director to kind of, you know, give us this visual of, of a kid who has this kind of optimism. But part of me also feels like he probably was having a real tough time uh, having the kid play moments. Yeah. So, because I could see it that he had to design something to kind of work. And I do it. And sometimes when he talks, it, it it's 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 it doesn't totally work for me at times. And at the end, it's interesting. I do agree. He when he does it because he doesn't go to a frown. It's some, I don't. I don't know what 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 his face like is at the end. It's it's, it's like those pursed lips. It's like he would frown if he could, but he's physically ex- unable to. Exactly. It's it's amazing. I feel like the kid got so beat up 
probably yeah. by, by doing this movie that he probably wasn't acting anymore. That's what I always have felt yeah. watching it. I felt like he probably was so emotionally beat up by having to be in this. He said it was 10 months. I mean, I think come on. 10 months, yeah. Good Lord, for a kid, for a kid yeah. to do this for 10 months, that's not, it's, it's, look, I, I did movies, I did plays when I was like 14 that were heavy and, you know, I was fucked up and it wasn't nearly as heavy as Come and See and I did it for like two to three months. I can imagine 10 months of doing this and how your yeah. psyche must be. But I agree, I, I've never, I've, his performance is actually, I want to say it's my little, my, my least favorite. I don't. I don't go for the performance for this film. I. 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 I, I like the world. Like, yeah. I'm into the world that's created through the whole sensory experience. And I do think, as a director, he made a great choice with the smile to this kind of face thing, which is something that that directors end up having to do sometimes with 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 yeah. actors who just aren't just hitting the mark. They just yeah. don't hit the mark, and you have to kind of you know, give him a choice and handle with that. And it ended up working better, but it'd be interesting to see if he did have an actor, like the little kid, you know, that, that Tarkovsky had for Ivan's childhood, who I think is great. Yeah. Have you heard the anecdote about that he tried to hire a hypnotist? I think I did hear this, but repeat it. It's it's unclear whether or not he was, it might be a dual thing, but whether he was interested in, getting more expression out of him through hypnotism, better direction, or if he was trying oh to protect God. or if he was trying to protect him from the extreme the extremity of the oh. film. I have read about this. Yeah. I've read about some I, it's been a while since I've read about this. Yes. Mm, that that he wanted wild. him to go through some of the like the the rougher scenes in sort of a trance, basically. That he was I don't know if it was just to try to do like a hair's all good heart of glass. Yeah, heart of, of thing, glass but... where the performances are uniformly terrible. Yeah. Because everybody's supposedly hypnotized. But it also makes you heart of glass always reminds you like, oh, there's a certain element of the uh person being hypnotized uh performing it like even hypnotists will tell you that mm-hmm. that they are they're giving themselves over to it and it just looks so fakey and hard of glass it's it's the worst performances <laughs> you will ever see collectively in a movie. i know and bruno west is so much better in his films as oh, an yeah. actor but um too i'm glad you brought up uh, ivan's childhood obviously that's a film you think about when you're watching this one yeah. and it, it makes me realize i i like i like this i love this film in spite of the performance. And I agree with you that I, I love the, the main performance in Ivan, but I don't actually like that movie very much. No. It's one of my, it's one of my less favorite uh, Tarkovsky's. Yeah, I think it fails in doing what this film does and that it does feel more like a fun adventure for a kid to be involved in this stuff, even though horrible stuff happens in the movie. I feel there's still like a fun sort of mystery to it that, I don't know, I don't feel like Tarkovsky... Got <laughs> like got me to feel about the movie the way I was supposed. It's to. funny because I've been rereading Roadside Picnic and rereading Roadside Picnic. I thought had the same thought of like Tarkovsky makes this so much more fun in Stalker <laughs> than it is in this book, yes. which is the book is really like grim. I yeah. read it two years ago. It's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I, but Tarkovsky's definitely not interested in anything that those guys were interested in yeah. in that picnic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no yeah. No way. Yeah. Or, or Solaris, for that matter. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Def- I think more Solaris than Roadside Picnic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Solaris is like, oh, yeah, you guys wrote a book? Tell me in three <laughs> words what it is, and I'll make my movie out of it. Great. Uh, space Ghosts Lonely? Gotcha. 
gone. Making Solaris now. I have to rewatch. I, I, I've always favored Come and See to Ivan's Childhood personally as a, as a yeah. film, but I like them both. They're both. I like them both though, yeah. but I, I have to rewatch Ivan. I, I actually bought the Blu-ray recently. I haven't, I haven't rewatched it, but I, I need, I need to watch it again. To, I need to watch it again too. I, it, maybe it's just that it, to me, it feels so much more minor than everything well, else. Tarkovsky is so metaphysical and he is a believer that there's the safety net of God in all of his movies. Yes. There just yes. is. There just is. You're never going to fall into the void in his movies because no. there really is a little bit of God always. This, is world, is, from, this yeah. world is kind of meaningless to him and to a certain degree. It's more yes. about how, how do you get through it? You know? Yes. And another thing about Ivan Shahwood, it, it also wasn't his film. He came into it pretty late in the process. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, it was, it was, he, he somewhat, there was another director for it. I, I, I know, I mean, he definitely changed it significantly, significantly and made it his own, but he wasn't the first person to do it. It wasn't, what he wanted to be his first project coming out of film school and after making um his, yeah. his first his oh first i always short. forget it's his first too it's an yeah. early work god damn he's such it's, he's such a good director <laughs> well that's a fucked up thing it's his first film and you're kind of like jesus christ it is funny though that he has that safety that god's safety net where i i don't know if you know what klamov's you know religion is but to have him be like yes death is a release for this character it's a good thing Ever Klimov to be like, no, 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 people are going to point guns at your head and you're going to be burned all around your body and run after German soldiers begging them to kill you, but you can't. You have yeah, to keep, totally. You have to keep yeah. witnessing, you have to keep seeing, you can't stop existing, you're trapped. And, yeah. and this well, is I, such a more pessimistic. And I, I actually don't think, I actually, now that I think about it, I don't even think Ivan's childhood is that much about World War II, to be honest with you. I think it's about, yeah. I think it's about Tarkovsky's, what, what Chris is saying about Tarkovsky's ideas of you know life and the soul yeah. <laughs> right? you know what it yeah. reminds me of maybe is, they're not good ones to compare but yeah go ahead yeah. Truffaut has a bunch of really lovely writing about being a kid during the occupation and that's like obviously like sad and negative and about childhood fears and being scared right and that's Ivan's childhood somehow reminds me of that too where there's it's mm. not it's like it's lovely that movie <laughs> childhood yeah. in a lot of ways in a way that you would never describe come and see as lovely although maybe, that was another yeah, yeah sorry that's what, I was gonna say it's funny to hear that because I constantly think of Paul Verhoeven's recollections of growing up in occupied Holland of being like it was fun yeah there was a big bomb go off it was cool <laughs> and then you go and you play in the craters and that informs his war movies you know like it is an adventure you know like war can well, be an adventure if you go back to come and see i mean like and that's what's so disturbing about the the, the beginning of it especially with him and what's her name uh glasha yeah they're, 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 they're when they're dancing in the rain and the, the right after the bombs hit i guess Maybe Furhoven never, you know, he didn't go through that ne that next step of having to fight. So probably when you're a kid, it is a kid's game for you. It's the only way that you can kind of process it. It's like of the course, first yeah. scene. Where it's like the first scene in this and uh, come and see where yeah. the younger kid they're just digging around and talking in the funny voices oh, and joking. That kid That's is such good. A great scene. That little kid is good. I like that him. That kid is fucking great. Oh, That's I totally 
I totally thought he was going to be the main character. For that's me, what made me think of the that I wish he had gotten a different person for the main one because that kid blows. Uh, uh, that voice uh, he has. Kravchenko like, off the screen. At the I was like, what? I was like, what older Russian actor did they hire to dub his voice? Oh no, it's the kid. Yeah. Wow. Very it's nice. It's really, it's really good. And and you know, uh, uh, Kravchenko as as uh, Floria, um, he's. At the beginning, too, that's harder stuff to play. Yeah. The realization that your family isn't there, the panicked fear that they're on the island and you're supposed to be uh, sort of delusionally believing they're out in the bog, right? That stuff is all much harder to play than getting deadened and overwhelmed, totally. you know? I agree. Oh, yeah. So I well, think well, it's... Well, the, you know, the long shot in the bog is just... You feel your, your energy draining from your body watching yeah. that scene. That's just, the first... Yeah. yeah. 20 minutes of this movie really was reminding me of um of uh zama oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. just the the sort of the sand imagery and the bog imagery and the way that war and soldiers are sort of hanging around the outside of it yeah the impudency of war and missions definitely is something that it has in common <laughs> yeah or leadership um, do you guys, this is a question for both of you guys. This movie, to me, I had sought this out a long time ago now. This is one of those movies I found when I was like young cinephile, like teenager, trying to find notorious things, right? Um, that I had heard that this movie is like as bad as it gets, you know, that this is just one of those movies that you'll see and you'll never be the same again, that it's so over the top. And so for me, I'm always surprised. I still hear it talked about in those terms like it's Salo or Night and Fog or even, you know, uh, angst or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't find it to be on that level. I find it to be more in line with um, the very, the very, the most powerful, like, you know, something like Germany Pale Mother or or even Marriage of Maria Braun, like powerful mm. movies about the war, but that have some distance of time between it. It just doesn't feel to me like uh, as like hard as Salo. <laughs> you know what I well, mean? Well, I think, you know, a, a thing that you really realize watching this film too is the lack of... Of, of imagery that's going to make you uncomfortable or like gore. Yes. You know, yeah. That scene in the bog is so much more emotionally devastating than anything that could be, you know, thought of as like, ugh, gross that that happened. Yeah. I, it's easy to compare it to something like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, where Spielberg's thing is like, I'm going to shoot the horrors of war because a guy's arm gets blown off and then he's yeah. looking, he's trying to find his arm and he picks up his arm and he's walking around with his arm. And it's like, yeah, that's, you're trying too hard, buddy. Like, you know, like I, that's, yeah that's Hollywood bullshit. Like I want to see something that really shows me the struggles of these characters and like the inescapability of the situation. And you're right. It shows after the violence so frequently, it shows the dead body with the guy with the sign on the motorcycle saying, I insulted a German officer this morning. You don't see him getting shot. You see the dead. Yeah, that's body. around the for guy so long too. surviving after he's been set on fire. When the woman, when they finally decide to kill the Nazis that they've captured, it stays on the woman firing the gun, not on the bodies becoming mm. brittle bodies the pile of bodies behind the house is it's like a, a what shot. like a one second shot it's yeah, so you short. barely see it and i mean but and it you, sticks with your head you know, yeah. no, it stays and, there 
and you only see the barn burning. You never see them actually explode when they throw yeah. the, the, the the grenades and the, the you whatever. Don't go inside. Yeah. You don't go inside. You just hear, which for me is, is this film has always been more emotionally taxing. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. And I, I think that's why I like it. I always tell people, I say, I'm, I'm not a huge war film guy. I, I'm just not. Like, yeah. I, I, like, I mean, I, I have the ones that I like, but I always find like little issues with them. In the Especially, army now with Pauly Shore. <laughs> oh, it's a great one, man. Perfect. <laughs> Navy SEALs, man. Come on. You know, you know, that's a classic, you know. But, like, it, I've always liked World War II films that were kind of like this, Army of Shadows. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Seven Beauties by Lena Wertmuller. Yes, like, Seven Beauties. Movie. I was thinking about so much while watching this. I, I, I love those kinds of films because I always, I always find they tell me a lot more about World War II than these, like, Political. I don't even want to say political. Yeah, yeah all the, you know all that stuff. Thin red. I don't know what thin red. Or, yeah, yeah, or even or even post war post war films like Marriage of Maria Braun. Yeah, and the, the Japanese films about the American occupation. I mean, those yeah, make those you realize good. like yeah. the horrible things that war has led to. Totally. Yeah. Black totally. Rain was another movie I was thinking of. Oh my god. While watching this. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And just sort of the idea because this movie is so much about Nazi atrocities too, where it, I had a moment that really struck me where, oh God, the only thing I've seen that's as horrible as this is some shit the U.S. did during World War II. You know, when mm. the, that scene just of, of um, Hiroshima after the bomb has dropped where you're not my brother. Yes, I'm your brother. You're not my brother. Uh. That moment is as bad as anything in this movie. And it really struck me like, oh, that was Americans doing it, that. though. That where sort of for World War II, the again the Nazis are a really convenient thing for people who want to continue being in the business of war to have that moral uh, lodestar that you can say that's the bad thing that we're against. Um, I agree with John that when you look at movies made by the next generation of Germans like Fassbender, right? Or, or Werner Schroeder and, and Helena Santos Brahm looking back at what their parents did or the Japanese filmmakers who lived through world war two, trying to come to terms with it. I get much more out of those movies than I do out of American world war two movies because I agree. Those, those filmmakers don't feel like they have the right to righteousness at all. You know, I- like, I mean, have you, have you ever seen Anne Hui's Boat People? No. No, I haven't. No. I, I saw it um, maybe three, four months ago. And people are not familiar, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a film about the Vietnam War. No. But it's about after the, it's as after Vietnam and this Japanese um, photographer goes to Vietnam to kind of see how it's doing after the war. And it's a great film because it was the first movie I had ever watched about Vietnam that had no American presence, like zero, zero. And it's about this Japanese guy and, you know, Vietnam is trying to present themselves, you know, post the war and how they are. And he discovers some things. And it's, it's this really interesting conversation about Asian about about the Asian diaspora through Vietnam because he's Japanese and their their judgments and it was really interesting and I said you know I, I it, it 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 hit me again how much American tales of these movie of, of of these situations I just I'm tired of them I just it's just just nothing really in it for me after yeah. a while it's uh, interesting friend, I mainly know her as 
I'm trying to think of the only like she did the stunt woman with Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, well, she has a well. You know, she was she was. I, I mainly I, when you said that she had done something else, I'm like I mainly know her as doing like regular Hong Kong. She has sort a, of like action. Comedy. Well, because because she was she was King and Who's Apprentice. Like she was that. King Who's Apprentice. Oh, that makes a ton but of sense. But the films that she's known for in China are these really heavy social dramas. This other, she has a World War Two film that is actually pretty good with the, with a with Chow Yun Fat. Love in a Fallen City is the name of the film. Oh, that's a beautiful name for a movie. Yeah, I'm it's, already into it. I'm already yeah, sold. Yeah, it's about a it's 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 about a, a businessman who was uh who was ah yes he was like trained in the West and comes back to China mm-hmm. because he doesn't really like Western women and Western society and 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 he wants to actually live a real kind of Chinese life. Yeah, and he meets this woman who he thinks is perfect, but she doesn't really love him. But her family is like, you should do it. And then they decide to kind of, you know, get into a relationship. But then right then, World War II starts. Oh, that's really interesting. And it's an interesting film. And is it set? Is it, is it set? Where is it set? Is in, it set in Hong Kong? It's in Hong Kong. So it's a Hong Kong film, actually, okay. yes. So Japanese invasion, that, that whole time. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good film. And, but her films really deal with that. And, and even, but even watching that film, you know, how many films have we had about, you know, we have Empire of the Sun, you know, where we learn yeah. about the, 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 the Hong Kong, China experience of World War II through the eyes of a, you know, a British boy. Yeah. <laughs> but, 55 days at Peking. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You don't have a lot of good choices there. Beloved yeah. of Fallen City. When oh, they that's have... not even World War II, though. That's, I'm getting every movie wrong about if it's World War II or not. Sorry. I know. On. Well, they kind of like <laughs> mush together a lot, of, a lot of times. Yeah. I was, well, that's the thing for war movies. That's the other thing I was thinking and watching this movie that I, this is a sentiment I've expressed a few times that uh, I know a lot of people don't like that I've gotten in trouble for before. Uh, the sameness of a lot of war movies um, to me, it is exactly what you're saying that these movies are expressing the same uh, uh, structures that they then right. apply to every conflict of that. Like there's some good people who face an overwhelming evil that then they do their part to overcome, you know, right. and it doesn't matter if it's the boxer rebellion or if it's, you know, Vietnam or if it's whatever it is, you know, and in the Vietnam movie, like self doubt seems to be the big thing. They all need to un- overcome more than anything else is that yeah. maybe we shouldn't be here. Don't worry. We'll over- overcome that soon enough yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh well we were there yeah <laughs> that's yeah. why i was just talking to our friend kevin marr who studied the vietnam war while he was in college and took a trip out to vietnam at that time yeah. so i was curious about you know to hear about his trip there there's a, a museum it used to be called uh, the museum of american atrocities yeah uh, in saigon uh and literally it was just wall to wall you know everything that american soldiers did while they were there yeah and I think that, you know, this again, when it comes to post-war films, especially things that you don't explore when you're in films where the characters were in direct combat, but rather the, you know, what well, was that's the behind also, yeah. afterward. When we're talking about the kinds of war movies that we're attracted to, the ones that are like, you know, Japanese filmmakers talking about Japan or China uh, during the war, where you have people who don't feel like they have any right to self-righteousness. 
right? Mm. That they don't feel like they're allowed to make the story of heroes in any way. I think you get more interesting and more truthful war movies. And that's what's fascinating about Come and See, ultimately, is it's a pro-war movie that doesn't feel like it's about heroes at all. It doesn't want to have heroes in, in it in any way. It's about contending with this apocalyptic evil that's befallen them that must be stopped in some ways. Um, but again, it's a, it's a little bit of a Tarkovsky theme there that that you're not you're not good. You know what I mean? You're not a good person. You're just uh, human, and you have your role to play in some sort of inscrutable cosmic uh, nightmare. Which also kind of feels very 80s if you think about the Soviet Union, because, I mean, what they fell only a, only a small, almost a handful of years later. Yeah, very so the, close to this. At, at that time, there isn't this kind of, you know, imagine this movie was made in the 60s or the 70s, you know. Yeah. There, were, there would need to be some kind of Leninist, um, clear <laughs> statement yeah. within it, you know. You, you see no pictures of Stalin in this film, you know, like none of that stuff. Because they were so yeah. down on it by that point. Yes, absolutely. Collectively, you know. And as much as I said that this, this does feel... I, I don't think I said, I, I think I implied that this movie is a little propagandistic. I, I think th- that's why I was saying, I think my minor quibbles, I, I was making sound bigger than they are. Yeah. Uh, all the things you're saying are true, that this is not a movie where they tear down the picture of Hitler and shoot it up and put up one of Stalin in right. its place. I think, too, in terms of the propaganda, the real thing that this film is intending is really to have the audience come and see the atrocities, like these things that maybe yeah. you don't know about. 628 villages raised to the ground and people massacred is just something that you need to know about. You know? Yes, and that you, I didn't know about before deny. I saw this movie. Well, right. that's the thing. If you think about it, let's leave, let's leave the Russian audience. Let's go to the American audience. I mean, Americans are so ignorant when they think about Russian losses in World War II. I tell people all the time that Stalingrad and the, the millions of people who died, and they go, really? Yeah. You go, really? People, people Americans yeah. don't know the amount of people that were actually lost well, <laughs> who that's, were Russians during World War II. They don't know and they don't yes. really care. Yeah. No, that that essentially the way Russia beat the Nazis was to just throw bodies at them. Exactly. And to just sort of overwhelm them. them. Yes. Yeah. Overwhelm <laughs> them with bodies. With yeah, the food. sheer amount of dying they were willing to do, I think is what separated Russia from France. You know, where, yeah. you know, uh, there, France was obviously not willing to do virtually any dying whatsoever. Um, and I think that that's, that's absolutely true. But that's a lot also of sur- a lot of surrendering, though. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they were on top of that. They're going to counter, but it's self-defense, as the guy in this movie says. You know, there is, right. there is no morality in self-defense. Oh, yeah. Uh, but also, you know, watching it that I think, uh, you know, Americans, I don't even know, think they know anymore that they're supposed to understand Stalin was bad for, you know, the starvation and essential Russian genocide of 20 million people. Do they even know that anymore? When I watch no. a movie like this, the, why I think of something like, like Black Rain, uh, where the suffering caused by the supposed good guys, you just have to sort of say, well, put that aside for now. <laughs> You know, whatever happened after this, there was something really bad happening, you know? And that's why I think I get a little hung up on the idea of the total evil of the Nazis being a convenient thing for less evil people who are still pretty evil. 
you know? Huh. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree with you with that. I mean, I, I see a ramp up in conversations with, you know, um, about Stalin sometimes. I, I, I made a comparison from to Stalin and Hitler. So, well, someone, you, you can't really compare the two. It's a little disingenuous. Yeah. I mean, Hitler was that, I was like, guys, come on. The most ardent communist Russians yeah. would tell you Stalin was a piece of shit. Slavoj Zizek says Stalin was a piece of shit. Yeah. Okay, any jokes about it, but come on, guys, like, get over it. You can let it go. Like, there can be more than one super evil person in the world. Yeah, and I think that's also talking about John and you guys, too, saying American audiences think about this. One of the things that I think is interesting to think about World War II, my, my great-grandfather, Frank M. Gleason, was a uh, lieutenant colonel who oversaw the excavation of, uh, of uh, Ordruf, which was a satellite camp of Buchenwald. And it was one of the first concentration camps ever uncovered, right? Oh, and wow. he was like a lawyer. He was in uh, one of the lawyers at Nuremberg. And one of his jobs during the war, his main job was to sort of catalog what had happened. And when they arrived, they had been hearing rumors of mass graves, yeah. but they didn't really know if it was true or not. So unearthing this satellite camp was one of the first times they proved that the Nazis had been engaged in genocide, which Americans weren't sure was going on and didn't really know. And I think Americans forget that stopping Nazi genocide was not on the list of reasons why we were doing any of this shit, yep, right? That, that was not, <clears throat> we got a rally to war to stop these guys from engaging in genocide. It was just not on the list. And I think it's convenient for now to look back, especially World War II films made now are made through that lens of what we were doing was so right because of that. But one of the things that's uncomfortable to compare is, you know, the Nazis were not, their propaganda wasn't, let's kill all of the Jews and ship them off to camps. It looked very similar to the anti-Japanese racist propaganda produced by the United States. States. Mm -hmm. It was racial caricatures about how these people were a nefarious international conspiracy and all of the same racist things that get said about every race, about like their, their wiliness and, you know, the ways in which they're both lazy and control everything and the ways in which you're being deceived and just all of that sort of uh, this international menace propaganda, it looks it's very similar. If anything, the Nazi propaganda is slightly more sophisticated because they had put more money into their propaganda machine and studying how that stuff worked. And it always feels uncomfortable to me when you discuss things like the history of Stalin versus Hitler, yeah. where it's like, it's not like at the time the people in the US were disliked either of them for the right reasons you know the right. reasons we didn't want stalin in power and we didn't want hitler in power had fuck all to do with the reasons that we all agree they're evil now right mm. yeah i totally agree it's more convenient for americans to think about relatives like my great-great-grandfather george washington cribs who charged down <laughs> little little big big top uh with um Chamberlain in the Civil War and watch Jeff Bridges doing it in the movie and go, yeah, get them rebs. <laughs> <laughs> that's more convenient for American audiences. Of course. <laughs> I, that's much more inspiring. I'm with it. 
I'm completely with it. You know, one thing I wanted to know is I've not seen any of Clemence's other films. Mtume, have you seen any of? uh... No, the only thing I've ever seen is his uh, his ten minute short dedication to his wife. Yeah. Uh, um, Oh, how's that? I mean, it's 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 really sad. It's eleven minutes. It's it's very personal. Yeah. Because she died unexpectedly in right? a car accident, a car accident yeah. oh yeah. my god I yeah she, she was she was in pre-production for a film oh no right Should they were be... like scouting locations or something yeah, right? and, yeah and and she died and it's really sad you, you, you can tell from the film that that like she was just his his world he was he was absolutely smitten by her like he loved her to death um yeah no i haven't seen any of his other movies none of them have anywhere the the um reputation of this one no and i don't know whether that's fair or not uh but none of them none of them have the uh uh same uh yeah i know kessler likes his rasputin movie but, yeah uh, that's what i was yeah. gonna say is the rasputin one is the other famous I one i check that one I, I i i always find rasputin fascinating so i should check that oh out. really i find rasputin so boring really? <laughs> yeah yeah i find it i just find it so weird i just find it just a weird thing yeah, I mean, I Come guess on, Chris, even when he's played by Alan Rickman. Come on. Well, no, that I don't. That I that I find <laughs> extremely uninteresting. <laughs> I think also, you know what it is. I probably not just him. I you know I I just finished reading October. You know by um what's his name? Uh, gosh. John Reed. No, the um the book, the more recent one by um gosh, I'm okay. The the, the 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 writer who's known right now, he does his kind of an oral history of the um Russian Revolution that oh, that year. Interesting. Um, so I'm I'm Russian Revolution and the end of the Tsar has always been very fascinating. By me. I have read the John Reed mm. though years ago. I read that. Um, but yeah, like. Shepko, his 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 uh Shepitko, his wife was was the more heralded filmmaker. She was the one who I think everybody was talking about. Yeah, um, and she's yeah. great. It's just interesting that this is his final film. Uh, his excuse afterwards being like, "I have nothing else to say, and I'm kind of yeah. you know done with making films." But it also seems like, yeah, well, what what's your follow up to this one guy? You know, <laughs> like what's I mean, shit. Yeah, what are you going to do next after this film? And I can't imagine that being, I, you just fade away. That's what you do. Yeah. yeah. It seems very hard. And especially it's fo- if it's following, you know, shortly after uh, his wife's death and it's within a couple years, right? That he she makes died. This- yeah, he, yeah. I think he started making it like about a year or two after she died. He started yeah. making it. And Larissa Shepetko. I don't know what, did we say her name out loud yet? Yeah. Okay. Larissa Shepetko. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it I, it wasn't too far after. Mm. I can't imagine. And also it's 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 interesting that if you spend your whole life fighting censorship and then it goes away, I wonder how that affects you. I wonder how it affects a lot of Russian filmmakers once Glasnost happens and then the the Soviet Union falls. Well, Tarkovsky had to leave ultimately, right? He couldn't make films in Russia anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That just the landscape changes so completely that you know, I'm sure by the mid '90s, all they want you to make is like dumb American knockoff bullshit. You know, well, that makes me wonder. Like, was like 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 Sokolov? Who was 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 his films Russian funded, or was he getting his money from other places? <sighs> I have no idea. That's a good Sokolov. He seems like now he must be. Uh, State funded, state funded, Studio Canal. Yeah. But when he, but, yeah, but when he was doing like Mother and Son, all his '90s films, I'm curious, like what was that? Where's the money coming from? Where's the money coming from? 
mm-hmm. I would have no idea. Yeah. I, I, it would be, I know nothing about Sukarov outside of uh, the films themselves. Yeah, same. And I know so little about, about the history of, uh, of Russian uh, post uh, Soviet cinema that I, I probably shouldn't speculate about any of this. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay, this any is a other, good. Yeah. yeah, no. In my notes, I know. In my notes, I thank you for coming on and talking. Oh no, to us. this is a great conversation. I no, really enjoyed it. I, I had, had a great time. It definitely better to talk about it with some people after I watched it earlier today, <laughs> and I was just kind of sitting there in a. Uh, did you yeah, go? Did you go by yourself to see it? I went by myself. Oh, you know, man. it's also one of those movies that you don't want to really drag somebody else to you like true they're, true enough they're looking at you like thank you you don't even want to talk about it afterwards no you really don't to a friend of mine and she was like what did you see and i was like i just don't even want to tell you it was just rough just oh. leave it at that what? what's that like oh i've heard of that is it good I mean, yeah yeah <laughs> I guess, I guess, yes don't that's, ever don't ever watch it if you want my advice it's great that's funny. the first see it. the first movie conversation i had to watching it was a coworker telling me she'd watched this uh like netflix sasquatch movie and i was like tell me all about it yes <laughs> i want to think about something system. else i want to hear everything uh, about a netflix sasquatch movie from a coworker. normally that is the beginning of a story that's like so my day was ruined <laughs> <laughs> and that's how Netflix movies are definitely worth our time to, <laughs> to make us not think about shit like come and see anymore. To just numb the brain. Just numb you. <laughs> um, I will not have any disparaging of Netflix here. They are my favorite corporation. <laughs> One of my favorite brands to defend when people speak ill of this company, I rush to their defense. I mean, I'm really a Hulu guy. <laughs> well, you know, when the, we're Hulu when, guys too. when the brand war happens, you know, exactly. we'll know which side we're on. Exactly. Plant your flag. <laughs> exactly. I will, I will dig a rifle out of the sand from a dead, dead Hulu soldier <laughs> and come to Netflix's defense. Oh, man. And Tume, I feel like I haven't talked to you in so long, even though we just saw each other at Marcus's wedding. I know, because we, we haven't had a chance to like sit down and we chat. We haven't had like a real conversation. Like a chat chat, yeah. It was just bullshit wedding conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't this beautiful? They look so happy. Lovely. Great couple. <laughs> Lovely. There's actually, so much we joy thought, here. We actually thought you had left uh, the wedding because you disappeared for a while there. So we were worried. We were like, oh, no. We didn't oh. even say goodbye. <laughs> oh, I think because we were all, and we never really left the side except when we went to the dance floor. Yeah. Yeah, we just weren't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I was so ill that day. Oh, I know. Yeah, you were. I yeah. just was not, not, not at full speed. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, man. Pleasure. Man. Thank you for having me, man. Thanks, and too, man. Anytime you want to come on, you're sure. always great to talk to. Yeah, man. Let me know ever if you ever need something too on this. But next time it's gonna have to be like have to be like Hot Shots Part Two or something. Yes, a little less something heavy. Less heavy. <laughs> yes, Tango and Cash. Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Tango and Cash has my all-time favorite final shot. It's not just a freeze frame on a high five. Yes. Freeze frame high five. I, zoom in black zoom and white. Pull yes. out to, to newspaper article that says like Tango and Cash save city. Fucking Dude, amazing. It's been on cable so much the last six months. It's 
it's and I, I I have to watch it almost every time because it's so absurd. It's so absurd in the greatest of ways. Can you imagine from the director of like Runaway that? Train? Getting exactly. It We're on yeah, Russian it is. cinema. It we'll is. Stay on, we'll stay on Russian cinema. Yes. With this. <laughs> who was who was Tarkovsky? What he worked with Tarkovsky too, didn't he? No, he did he? Have, yeah, contract. yes. That's he was awesome. A, I, I think he was yeah. his. I think he, he was his AD. I'm almost possible. I'm almost positive. He was yes, he for was at least AD. two or three films. And yeah. I think I think you are right. I'm pulling this shit up right now. I'm already Let's on see. it. Did he shoot? Yeah, Ivan's Childhood. Yep. Bang. Yep. Look at I, that. He was a writer on. Look it. at that. How did we do that? He wrote that Andre Rublev. Amazing. That's right. He did for Rublev. Exactly. This is this gets better and better. No, th- that's how I. That's how I knew it was hilarious because I, I remember when I discovered Runaway Train some years ago. I was like, "Oh shit, this movie." Oh, I was thinking I did Tango and Cash. Well, what? Who is this guy? Yeah. And then I remember googling it. I was like, "He worked with Tarkovsky. He wrote part of Andre Rublev." You know what else he directed? <laughs> what? Homer and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> oh no that was his follow-up to tango and cash yes so let's do partnering let's up do, the big stars let's do next time you come on a konchlovsky's american movies <laughs> I talk tango and cash homer and eddie i'll have to find movies. homer and eddie because i know i saw it with my mom because she was a Whoopi goldberg fan <laughs> i was I, I was forced to see that weirdly homer and eddie written by tarkovsky no, I'm kidding. Oh, that, <laughs> I, that I knew. That I knew. <laughs> okay, man. Thank you very much. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Right, Take care.